in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. And welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. It's your host, John Mayetta. Check us out online at ceorator.com. If you like the podcast, subscribe, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. So if you are a member of a quant fund, you're a quant analyst, you're a chief investment officer, and let's say you're, you're a newer shop, and let's say that the leadership is from outside of the world of institutional investing. And so maybe you guys had some success applying quant models in other domains, and now you're moving over to the capital markets, and you're creating a, a quant fund. One of the things to look out for is when you look at historical data, particularly when you go back beyond a three-year period, 10-year period, 20-year period, so on and so forth, the thing to watch out for is are one of obviously one of any number of thousands of variables, but an, infor- an important variable to consider is that around 2006, 2007, high frequency traders came into the market in a big way, and a number of firms would execute fake orders. So they would drop a bunch of buy orders on the market, a bunch of sell orders on the market to solicit a reaction. And those orders would be canceled before the trade settled, i.e. fake orders. And that practice became pretty rampant. I'm not sure to what extent it exists today versus 07 levels if you compare it to overall volume today versus 07 levels, you know, as a, as a percentage of total volume in the, in the domestic markets, the domestic equities markets. And I'm not sure, because I haven't stayed up on it, what regulatory methods may have been put in place to try to reduce that, speed bumps and things like this. But it's something to consider, because when you're building your, your models, similar, I guess, to an analogy would be if you think about F1 racing. And yes, the, the cars have improved over time, so it's, you can't really compare the automobile 2017 versus 1970. Right? It's apples and oranges. But the track, you know, a given track is, is more or less the, the same track. Same materials. So the track is at least apples to apples. Whereas prior to 06, 07, the order management game, trade order management, whether it's buy-side or sell-side transaction, that's apples and oranges. So it's the equivalent of change is swapping out the racetrack. The racetrack itself is, has changed. And prior to 06 and 07, when somebody placed an order, whether it was a buy order or a sell order, the intention behind that order was to execute the transaction. And occasionally you would have cancel replaces, but they'd be for legitimate reasons. Somebody made a human error, uh, an order transaction, a buy transaction, for example, may have been placed for 1,000 shares when it should have been for 1,100 shares, and there may be some sort of amendment that would be made prior to settlement to correct the order. But by and large, I'd say 99%, maybe 99.5%, maybe 99.9%. 
of orders prior to 0607 were placed with the intention of, of settling that, that trade. Whereas post that time period, particularly in the 07, 08, 09, you know, for as long as I was on the street, through middle of 11, you had these, these fake orders in the system. And so then how that manifests itself in your model, I'm not sure, but there's an element of noise there post 06, 07 that, that wasn't in the capital market on the order execution side prior to 05, 06, 07. So something to factor in when you're assigning weightings to, to variables. So that's my, my thoughts on quant investing, particularly if you're a, a newbie to the space. And then just the other item I had was Uber. And you're going to see a lot of dirt in the news. You have Uber and Google in court with each other. And apparently there's a former Uber employee who said that the the company under prior CEO founder Travis Kalanick was guilty of hacking into competitors' applications, so you know, a competitor like Lyft. Uber would hack into the back end, hack into apps. They hired um, ex-CIA employees. This is the this is the uh, the accusation that they hired former intelligence professionals to assist with this effort, which if true would be obviously illegal. But the reason I mention this is this is what you know, if you're Dara Kasashahi and you you know you leave Expedia to go to Uber because it Uber's the sexy name, you know, it's a high profile company. And I guess they made him whole, probably they made him whole and then some I guess he left a couple hundred million on the table on options at, at Expedia. But this is what happens when you jump in with both feet as a CEO into a story with hair on it. It's going to take years to clean this stuff up. You know, practices that used to go on under the old management leadership, it's going to take a while to end those practices. And the way to do it effectively is to show no mercy. If if you have employees that continue with practices that you've said are no longer acceptable, and they shouldn't have been acceptable in the first place under the old regime, you, you've got to back up your words with action and, and take no prisoners. And if somebody goofs up and continues with a practice that is no longer acceptable, you've got to terminate that person. That's your only option. And you've got to do it quickly. Then you've got to do it loudly. Not that you need to make that person's name public, but you know you send around a an email to employees and say, we noticed this behavior, said it wasn't acceptable, and we had to fire the party who, the employee who continued with this practice. It's unacceptable. And we will continue to fire people on the spot who continue with this practice. And obviously the the practice of hacking into competitive applications is 100% unacceptable. But it's going to take time to change the culture these lawsuits aren't going to go away overnight. And when you're Uber, you're not a massive company in terms of the strength of your balance sheet. So all the while, Waymo's getting stronger. 
in terms of autonomous driving. The other automobile OEM companies are getting stronger in, turn of, in terms of autonomous driving. Apple. <coughs> Excuse me. In the way a lot of these companies, the large OEMs, plus Google, slash Waymo, plus Apple, the way they're going to deploy their autonomous technology initially is through rideshare programs, through fleet operators. They're not going to be sold to you and me. Initially, these automobiles are going to be deployed as, as fleet operations. You know, Waymo has a small one in Phoenix. Uh, Cruise Automation, the, the Bay Area startup that GM acquired uh, recently, they're going to roll out a taxi service shortly in a number of months. So, i.e., a fleet operation. You're competing head-to-head with, with, uh, with Uber. So the competitive landscape for Uber has just, in the past couple of years, has done a complete 180. And they're going to get hammered. And they're going to need to raise more capital to maintain the pace with, with the automobile OEMs. And maybe one of the large OEMs picks them off. You know, they, they've done this deal with, uh, with Geely, which, which is a Chinese automobile OEM, which now owns uh, Volvo. And they bought 24,000 autonomous units, autonomous vehicles from, from Geely. Uber did. But you can see how this could become expensive. You're buying automobiles. It's not your own IP. And they still have value. If you're Uber, the thing that's it's valuable, that's not easily replicable, is the, the network. The network that's created by way of having, I don't know how many users they have, but by having apps deployed on customers' phones, you've essentially created a, a real-time network. So they have the ability to, to measure demand in real time and create demand heat maps and things like this, which they've done. That could be valuable to first responders, and I'm sure there are a number of other use cases. That's still valuable. But as these automobile OEMs start to roll out their fleets and ultimately roll out to consumers, they'll have their own network, an app-driven network. Cruise Automation has one, so on and so forth. So the value of Uber's network starts to diminish as competitors roll out their rideshare offerings, which leaves you Uber with very little in the way of intellectual property that's that's defensible. You have very little intellectual property to begin with, and now the, you know what you do have is isn't quite so defensible, and therefore because it becomes incrementally less valuable over time. Like for like. Now, if you continue to add thousands and thousands of users to the network, then you know that that network growth offsets the decline in the fact that um, the the decline in valuation brought on by the, the 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 increase in competition. But if that that network growth starts to slow, now you really run the risk of having a precipitous decline in the value of your of your network because not only you're not adding nodes to the network, the network isn't so defensible. So you're kind of getting hit from both sides. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. See you all next time.